Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A episode of our man Ari Leyendijk coming up as our guest episode. I don't even know what to say. Uh, I'm genuinely kind of tapped out for brain power. Not something you're totally unfamiliar with here on what I refer to as my unpolished turd of a podcast, the listener Q&A episode. Y'all did send in some fun questions for sure. I'm sure there's plenty of things I could think of to say beforehand, but they aren't coming into my brain. So I'm going to do two things swiftly. One is to say thank you to you for the great questions. What, about a month ago-ish, where I said, I don't know the frequency of these. We'll have to see if questions keep coming in during the shutdown. Maybe not. I don't know. Well, y'all told me, don't worry. We're going to have plenty to throw at your big melon of a head, and you have, so thank you. Uh, Secondly, Cooper Tires, great people. The Justice Brothers, equally as great, torontomotorsports.com. I tell you, there's some fine people there, in particular, Derek Koska. A lot of love for that man. Canadian as well, which means he gets an extra helping of love because how could you not love Canadians? And finally, Bell Racing Helmets USA for supporting all that we do. Another quick thing to mention, thanks to you as well for the patronage at my primary client's site, racer.com. Wow, we're talking record upon record traffic and... Funny, you might think, well, isn't everybody sitting at home and bored, and therefore, isn't that the reason for traffic to go up? Yeah, not necessarily. A lot of folks, myself included, thrown out of normal routines, and uh, nonetheless, y'all have turned up and just really helped. Uh, I wouldn't suggest that buying subscriptions and other things would also be really helpful, but I can tell you they certainly wouldn't hurt, but... We're not here to uh, force stuff like that on you, just to say thank you. Last thing to mention here, as we always do at the start of our listener Q&A show, just before we get to your questions, is to highlight the person whose question last week got the most likes, or in this case, got the most love from me. And that would be our man, Brett Ross. So, Brett, please send me an email or direct message or something as a result of your question on the MP Podcast Facebook page in my call for questions for last week's episode where you sent a photo of you saying this is my red card punishment from the April 4th episode having written Lamont as one word, L-E-M-A-N-S, instead of two words with the M being capitalized. So Brett sent in a photo of him with a dry erase board having written uh, Lamont correctly, I think 160 plus times until his hands started to cramp. So Brett, if nothing else, your great sense of humor and your action here it, it automatically, I don't care how many likes your, your post did or didn't get, you get the most from me. So send me a note uh, with an email address and we will get our friends at torontomotorsports.com to fire a t-shirt and a koozie and some stickers and some other fun stuff your way that they give away. Keep in mind, this is something they do. I mean, obviously, we do it together, but this was their choice and their call just to say, hey, we, as a supporter of your podcast, want to show love for 
all of the listeners. And so that's why I mentioned I love me some Derek Koska and TorontoMotorsports.com because they're just thinking of uh, spreading the love. So speaking of, that's right, we're going right into this. We're, we're just going to go. And we're going to start with Kevin Kemp. You're going to be the man that sets off this episode. We've got four folks who have sent in questions about Kyle Larson on the Week in IndyCar podcast. I will admit to being exhausted more mentally and emotionally than anything else. Uh, just the amount of ignorance flowing over the past whatever many hours, couple of days, from people apologizing for him, minimizing what he said, downplaying it. Yeah, I know that he shouldn't. Yeah, okay, yeah, he said the N-word. Yeah, but whatever, you know, come on, everybody says it. Too many people unwilling to have and hold a moral line. And I don't mean holier than thou, I'm better than you. Just say, you know what, that isn't right, and I'm not going to bend or accommodate. So I apologize, Kev, I'm a little worn out here. But I love your opening question. What are the chances of getting Carl Larson as a teammate for Santino Ferrucci? Santino can help him repair his image and they tear up IndyCar. Ah, thank you, Brother Kevin. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, here's the part we're going to dig into. Stupid what Larson said, and he should face consequences. But I believe in second chances. What say you, Marshall? I say this, my friend, and to others who might used an unfortunate comma and but please remove the commas and the buts in comments like these it it just whether it's intentional or not it sets up some form of i know we should but let's get rid of the butts man let's let's get rid of the butts man stupid what larson said period He should face consequences, period. And, comma, I believe in second chances, period. That's the thing I would love to read more of. This is something where we all agree that what he said was stupid. He acknowledged he knew better, knew it was wrong, and still did it cross that one out we're done got it should face consequences agreed and he did lost everything his career gone his name shot chevrolet gone mcdonald's gone credit one bank gone a variety of other sponsors that i've seen smaller ones gone Chip Ganassi Racing, fired. NASCAR, suspended indefinitely. iRacing, virtual racing, banned as well. Indefinitely. He has felt the consequences. Let's stay here on consequences for just a minute, and then we're going to get to second chances to close. The thing that is so maddening and frustrating about this Philip Schmitz, you ask a question at the end. What's the biggest shot in the foot move you've seen by a driver? This is it. And it's for one reason. The guy just surrendered his career and name and reputation for absolutely no reason. 
race car driver, team owner, whatever, gets pulled over doing 147 miles an hour in Daytona Beach, uh, no license, no insurance, no registration, and they found a Tony Montana-sized bag of cocaine in the passenger seat, and he had a crazy straw uh, connect welded to his nose. Driver is too slow, gets fired. Driver's too fast and erratic, tears up too much equipment, team can't afford it, and he or she is dropped. Uh... This is none of those things. This is a guy who's one of the most talented race car drivers in the world, period, any kind. This is a guy who loved by his fans, loved by his team, gets along wonderfully with his sponsors, loved by his sponsors. And this guy and just is such a unique figure as a biracial man, Japanese-American man, a, amazing, a new barrier broken all these amazing things. Every single thing was working. There's no scandal of drugs, sex, alcohol, theft, greed. Name all the things that you go, boy, this has derailed an athlete's career or a driver's career. None. Ponzi scheme. None. Nothing to do with the racetrack. Nothing to do with the team, culture inside, how he worked, didn't work. Nothing to do with sponsor relations. Nothing to do with bad behavior after hours. Getting caught with women, getting caught with blow, getting caught with this, guns, none. So he decides to use the one word in the English language that is widely known, widely accepted. He acknowledged is the career suicide word. It's the one word, terms of consequences, that strips you bare, strips you naked, leaves you exposed with folks like Chevrolet, like McDonald's, like Chip Ganassi, like NASCAR, like all the other ones I mentioned, saying, we no longer know what you are about You have said a word that instantly attaches so many things to you that it is implausible and inconceivable to remain in your general atmosphere. You have said a word that brings so much toxicity and fire and darkness that we have to run away from you. You chose the one word that stops everything you and you admit you knew better care if the mic was on and off and thought it was again excuses it's apologies these consequences have been delivered and received this is the biggest shot in the foot i can think of philip for the reason of it is so damn unnecessary. There's no reason. Even if the guy is the world's biggest private racist, hates all people of color other than himself, I guess, and his people. Even if that were the case, he knows better and acknowledged that he knew better to say the word great thing that racists are capable of doing is hiding it 
only using it in places where they feel truly safe. Huh. So the consequences have been felt, my friend. That Kev, I would say we are clear on the guy's life at the moment is destroyed and he destroyed it. Chip Ganassi didn't destroy it. McDonald's didn't. Chevrolet, etc. He took the poison pill. He put that word, which is known to be a bullet, put it in the gun, cocked the hammer, didn't point it outwards, man, pointed it right at himself, stared at the trigger and said, yeah. So here we are. Stupid what he said, guaranteed, move it on. Face the consequences, guaranteed, already happened, moving on. Second chances. That's where we start to pivot. But you got to stay here for just a sec, though, before we pivot. The other thing that has just been maddening in the excuses that I continue to see, he should be given a second chance. Why won't they give him a second chance? I am never going to eat at McDonald's, buy a Chevy, root for Ganassi, so on. Blame, 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 blame. Attack, attack, attack. Because they wouldn't give him a second chance. It's been two days. It's been three days. Seriously. Do you think on a Sunday night, he used the N-word, which went worldwide. On Tuesday, they said, hey, man, come on back. Eh, We're going to get a little bit of that sensitivity training. Going to sensitize you a little bit. And then all of a sudden, you're just going to love everybody. It's been two days. It's been three days. Whatever it's been. So this is the point where you and I are in total agreement, Kev. I believe in second chances as well. You know what? You earn them. What we did not see, what we did not hear in his really lame apology video was anything stating that he wanted a second chance, that he was going to try and earn one, that he was going to do anything to receive a second chance. Again, action, movement, nothing. I want to go and speak with people who are name the race that isn't his own to understand racism that he knows from a personal standpoint and from his grandparents, possibly his mom, but we know from his story, racism is something that he is not unaware of, hasn't escaped him. What are you going to do to show us that, you know what, actually, uh, maybe I need to go and learn what this word really means where it came from, how it was used, what it has done, the wreckage it has caused, the stain it continues to create. I mean, that would be amazing. A journey of self-discovery. But we haven't heard that, have we? I hope to. I am probably like many others who are just really hoping to hear that he has decided, you know what? I got to do it. Said the word destroyed his life, has attached all those stains to himself as a result. Some of them could be accurate. Some could be inaccurate. Again, you say that word, you become a racist in the eyes of so many, and 
here's the thing. Here's where we pivot out of this. Why? His whole career, his whole ability to have a second chapter in his career pivots on the word why. What is that thing inside of you that made you believe you could say that word? Possibly not for the first time in your life. In comfort and security. Why? Why did you arrive at that conclusion? What is broken inside of you? What kind of moral failings, educational failings? What is the thing that got tangled inside of you? Is there a void you just don't feel for others? You don't grasp? You don't care? Why? Now, this might sound deeper than it should, digging deeper than it should, but honestly, Kyle Larson's entire ability to continue his career, at least top tier, earning real money, getting back to something like what he had before in life, and restoring his name to the best of his ability... It all centers on one single thing, Kev. Why? Answering that question. Because that's the question the people who hold the ability to give him a career again, give him a life again, that's the question they need answered. Why, Kyle? Why? Tell me. You don't know? Well, then guess what, man? That's where this really hard journey starts. Going inside and finding out. Wasn't, it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an oops. It wasn't something you'd never heard before and just made up and said. What is the intent behind this? Where did it come from? Once you can answer that, you can have your life back. That's the payment. That's the penalty. If he wants to have his life again. He hasn't said it. I hope he says it, but if and when he wants to seek counseling to really get to the root of this, man, imagine that. This is the the amazing pivot. As Americans, we love a redemption story. We love second chances. Imagine all the things that Kyle Larson could do if he is willing to humble himself, educate himself, go through the very tough and painful and frustrating exercise of getting to the root of his major internal malfunction, fixing that malfunction, and moving ahead in a positive way. Imagine this. In April of 2020, Kyle Larson committed career suicide by using the one word in the English language that is guaranteed to end your world. As a result, and wanting to seek counsel from his elders and elders of other ethnicities, he has learned about life and people and their journeys and struggles in ways he never previously grasped and has gained not only understanding, but care and compassion at levels that were never previously 
seen. And in taking action from this incident one year ago, two years ago, however long this journey lasts, Larson has decided to use his platform to help teachers to receive the school supplies necessary to educate an impoverished portion of this town or that town to make sure that this kid or that kid who has no food to eat is no longer going hungry. This child who might be black or might be white or might be Japanese or might be anything that is incredibly smart but lacks the ability to go to college is now going to college as a result of the Kyle Larson making the world a better damn place foundation. A homeless man, a homeless woman, a homeless family is no longer homeless as a result of coming to the Kyle Larson Institute of being a better damn person and helping others instead of being selfish and privileged and feeling he can say whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and get away with it. Foundation has taken them off the streets, has fed them, educated, brought financial, emotional security. A woman who wanted to do something that she was unable to do has been given the platform to do that through the relationships Kyle Larson has forged as a result of going through this transformative personal evolution. These are amazing possibilities for Kyle Larson, Kev. So guess what? This is the craziest part, Kev. The craziest part. The guy who just committed career and reputational suicide in this country has the ability to rise from the proverbial ashes and be better, more popular, and more influential than he was Saturday night, the night before this happened. This guy has the ability to be giant, and that ability rests within his hands to accept or decline. This guy could be a hero on the other side of this. That's the potential he has if he wants to. Close on this, and this is just, again, me being as honest as I can. It'd bum me out if I never got to see him drive a race car again. Cover your ears. I really don't give a shit. If he drives a race car again, he's done it for the majority of his life. He's earned riches beyond anything most of us will ever know. Most of us will never have a fraction of a fraction of the amazing things that have come to him. If he gets to keep driving a race car again, cool. I will enjoy seeing it. I really don't care. The thing I care about with this guy And I know others do because I've been on the phone with them. They've called me or I've called them. And there are some folks genuinely communicating with the family, trying to put together something to help the kid get through this, to learn, to grow, to be that better person. The thing that 
I want for him is to be in however many years time the ultimate turnaround story. Wow. How many kids have gone to school because of you? How many people have eaten meals and survived or had shelter or shoes or, or, or because you decided to take this opportunity to become the best version of yourself and make a real impact on the world? Driving a race car makes a lot of people happy and inspires plenty, I'm sure. It's not a tangible thing. Really, truly turning this into something where Kyle Larson is spoken of with reverie for his true impact, direct connections with all kinds of people who look or don't look anything like him. And those gifts of benevolence and love come from a genuine place inside him. That's the story I I so want to write. And I know I'm not alone. So I am rooting for this kid, but he has got to want it. He's got to ask for it. He's got to put in the work. And he's got to go through hell. We're going to Jim Kaiser because we need ourselves some Jim Kaiser. Haiku for the only form of motorsports we're getting right now. Of which he says, about iRacing. Hashtag me personally, yawn, video games. All right, I can't wait for the responses from our pal Ryan Terpster and others. Um, John Hollinger, is it Inger or Hollinger? I don't know, John. I should have asked sooner. I'm dumb, but that's okay. Hopefully you guys accepted that a while ago. Um, I know a venue has to be financially feasible for IndyCar to race there. That said, with the cancellation of the Detroit GP, has there been any discussion of a race at Michigan International Speedway replacing Detroit for 2020? Is it even remotely feasible to speculate? Um, And then you also say the one thing, which I loved as well. I noticed the official IndyCar Twitter account acknowledged that they saw the desire expressed by fans over the past weekend about returning to MIS. Yeah, Jay Fry has been hit with a whole bunch of folks saying, so what about Michigan? Only question here is just a promoter promotion, right? We know that Roger Penske, guy who kind of owns it all, is the one who puts on the Detroit Grand Prix. There, It's, you know, well-established money maker. It's a very benevolent thing that puts a lot of money back into the community. Could there be a race at Michigan International Speedway, which, you know, isn't necessarily geographically right on top of the Grand Prix? I'd think so. I'd hope so. We know that it, the two existed in the past. Um, you know, cart era. <sighs> I wish we, I really wish we could. Uh, I haven't been to Michigan many times. I'm sorry, Michigan International Speedway many times. Been to Michigan many times. Um, man, I would love that. That would make me so, so extra happy. As I have Rosie running at full speed behind me. Um, and I'll just keep pushing this and hoping that our friends at IndyCar decide that, you know, because our podcast kept hammering at home, we're just going to do it to get Pruitt to shut up. Uh, hey, Matt Anderson, you're up next. Marshall, have you heard any rumors? But any sponsorship deals for the Indy 500 potentially falling through because of the shutdown and major date change. 
Uh, says, I know that they're generally locked in with a contract. However, since it's not a typical one, like a rain delay, but a four-month shift or so in the schedule, does this give any companies that may be hurting financially now a way out for upholding their deal? Uh, I haven't heard of any. I would just throw this in quickly, Matt. Contracts at this level tend to be quadruple ironclad. There's also the thing that's a bit of a practical reality, which is if company X that signed the deal to sponsor the thing goes through really hard financial times and doesn't have the money to do it, there's nothing IndyCar can do, right? It's the, well, you can sue them. Great. And what are you going to get? Like office furniture? <laughs> you're gonna get some, like a fleet of whatever you know corporate vehicles to drive around i mean there there's that part which is the yes contracts are super important and mean all kinds of things but if there's no money to support it you you can't sue your way to make a company all of a sudden have money so i haven't heard of anything yet i hope that i hear of nothing but if we do find ourselves in a case where a sponsor is just truly hurting, I don't think IndyCar can do a whole lot other than say, all right, again, are we going to spend the money to sue you? That'd be silly. Um, I think the general mindset, though, Matt, is one of, man, these sure are very, very different times. So we had better try and compromise as much as we can and work through as much as we can uh, to get to a place where we hopefully both succeed as much as we can in these circumstances. Let's go to Ross Porter. Hey, Ross. It says, Marshall, though I kind of loathe stock cars at IMS, I'm really excited for the planned doubleheader with IndyCar running uh, the GMR Grand Prix on Saturday and NASCAR running on Sunday with their Brickyard 400. I can't help but wonder how the weekend is going to play out logistically. I'm sure it takes quite a few man hours to get the track switched between oval and road course configurations. Does this mean IndyCar will be putting on a one-day show Saturday? This is a question of garage space also perplexes me. Sorry, I'm doing the thing I know I shouldn't, which is drinking coffee at 11, 10 at night. It's been a long day. Uh purely pulling this one out of my backside ross but just trying to think in the past where we've had significant circuit changes required uh with you know differing series at the event my guess guess would be you know unless they do have some really rapid you know 15 minute turnaround time or half hour turnaround time it wouldn't be a total shocker to learn you know uh, Thursday is going to be the IndyCar day where they practice and qualify and whatever, convert the track over. Friday, NASCAR does their stuff, convert it back. Saturday, IndyCar does their race, convert it back. NASCAR does their race on Sunday. Um, that would be a normal thing to expect, but I'm hoping to hear from Doug Bowles, if they have some sort of faster turnaround mechanism in place to where they don't have to actually just kind of cordon off day by day to uh, look after the series uh, individually like that. Let's go to Chris Hoffman. Hey there, Chris. Marshall, can you think of any positives that might come from the delay of the IndyCar season? 
For hashtag me personally, it seems like there might be more of a willingness of the sanctioning bodies to work together to get races scheduled in Iran. And I'm sure once IndyCar season starts, nobody will be bitching about the arrow screen anymore. I think almost kind of sort of Chris, the arrow screens maybe been moved into that category by a, a significant number of people. Won't pretend to know what that number is, but, um, Hmm. Positives. Just from a communal standpoint, maybe, uh, boy, the old absence makes the heart grow fonder adage. That's maybe the only positive that jumps out. Not only do people want to get back to racing because they're competitive, they're racers, hardcore. That's their identifying life principle. There's also the, the communal aspect, the brotherhood and sisterhood. You know, we don't go to bingo games to socialize. We don't go to the mall to socialize. We're this weird tribe that goes to fenced off, walled off places where like little rockets and a bunch of them go around and around and try not to crash each other. And then we celebrate the rocket that comes home first. It's a weird, we're weird, but we love our weirdness and we love being weird together. So again, at that positive, maybe it's that maybe we appreciate what we do and who we are and who one another happens to be more can give you a little hashtag me personally on the home front. So I do a job where I talk to people and I think sometimes, but by and large, a lot of what I do involves talking to people in the words they say, form columns, form podcasts, whatever, but talking to other people often and constantly is what I do can tell you that a vast majority of those conversations are economical. Hey, how's it going? Hey man, working on a story about this thing, uh, could use some help, you know, trying to explain this or, Hey, you know, I, I don't understand this thing. Can you explain it to me? Cause I assume maybe some others need to understand it or, Hey, why'd you make that? To whatever. Thanks. Cool. Hey man, thank you. Really appreciate it, dude. Can't wait to see you Hey, Good luck or whatever. Say hi to your kids, wife, mom, dad, dog, whatever. Just, but you know, Keep them moving. They got work to do. I got work to do. Got the thing we need. Pleasantries and a little bit of fellowship and catching up. But again, it's, you know, business minded. Those conversations are like no less than 30 minutes now. The ones that would have been five to seven minutes, maybe 10, maybe 12. They're at minimum 30 now because we don't have a need to rush there's no oh man i gotta get the car loaded into the trailer i gotta run and catch a fl- go home and pack and catch the flight to here and i do too i gotta go hey man so it, that's been the best thing to come from this for hashtag me personally uh hell i don't even where's my phone the Conversations that I've had this week so far include the president of one racing series, a person who won Lamaze, a team owner, 
a person who owns and runs uh, my primary client, person who founded the Long Beach Grand Prix, a three-time 24-hour Le Mans winner, a guy who was in some documentary called Uppity, guy who is the chief race steward for one of the series that I cover, a woman who is the head of the communication departments for another, a friend who is an amazingly excellent writer, I've spoken with him three times, according to my phone. Spoken to someone who is a prominent team owner. Uh, spoken to that prominent team owner again. Spoken with a Formula One world champion. Spoken with a two-time Indy 500 winner. Spoken with, uh, again, I'll, I'll leave it there. If I were to look at the timestamps, um, <laughs> the one call, here, I'll just mention this. So my guest this week, guest IndyCar, weekend IndyCar guest is Ari Leindyke. He just wanted to talk real quick about, hey, so, you know, remind me, it's been a while since I've been on the show, what's the format, whatever. That would genuinely normally be a three-minute conversation. This one took 16, right? Uh, spoke with Mario Andretti uh, about Sterling Moss. It's a 20-minute conversation with Mario. Um, speaking with Heck, I don't know. Willie T uh, called last night. Surprise, surprise what it might have been about. That conversation was 23 minutes, followed up by another one that was almost as long. I'm just sharing these things with you just to say, boy, uh, I'm thankful that we have some time. Um, I'm really thankful that we have the time um, to spend 30 minutes where normally it'd be 5 or 10 at most. And I just have to believe that this is something that is not, it's, it's going to carry over when we get back together. It's not going to last. It never does. It, it, there's a, always a point where it's just fully diffused. But that's the thing, Chris care a little more, think a little more, ask a little more. The amount of texts that I get each day and send out each day, hey, how you doing? Folks, I, I've reached out to someone I hadn't spoken to in 13 years last night. Just thinking about them. I'm sure you all have done similar things. Man, that, that guy, that gal, that whomever, that family member, man, I uh, want to make sure they're doing okay. Let them know I love them care about them whatever um yeah so i'm hoping that's that's going to be the positive sorry if i just got sappy there I'm a little bit sappy uh let's see john wonar i think i just killed your last name again man winar woj one whoa i suck <laughs> i do uh, mp have a question about an incident in iRacing. Not that incident. Oh, whew, thanks, man. No, I'm good. I really don't need to go back there. It says, Bubba Wallace essentially lost a sponsor for junking and parking his car in an iRace. Many argue he screwed his sponsors, but I wonder how much are sponsors paying to sponsor iRace cars? Um, yes, yeah, a couple other questions here. Uh, I don't know. I know that in the case of... There have been a couple of situations where a sponsor has decided to, you know, make an extra effort to do something in sim racing, in esports. 
just say john maybe the the correct approach and please tell me how to correctly pronounce your last name because i hate as someone who's been called marshall purette to a variety of other things um i hate mispronouncing people's last names and yet i'm so good at it uh the vast majority of what we're seeing if not almost it's not 100 percent, but it's darn close is the sponsors of the teams and whatever series we're seeing who have an iRacing esports component now, this is just an attempt to offer some sort of value that is being lost while cars are not on track. That's it. Uh, it's not some sort of extra deal and then paying for that. It's, hey, we wrote you some checks this year because we thought, name the series, was going to do a whole bunch of racing by now, but you haven't. In IndyCar's case, we've done none. IMSA's done one. NASCAR did what, four? You know, we're halfway through April. Uh, I would just say the the reality is when you see Will Powers Verizon Chevy virtual vehicle or pick whatever it might be on any of the other cars, it, and that just came to mind because, I don't know. Uh, sorry. Um, they're just trying to give some value. And this is the one way they found that they might be able to. Uh, Lance Snyder says, when will we see your sim rig? That's a little bit of a personal question. Wouldn't you say, Mr. Snyder, it's still in a box, man. Uh, I've yet to find that point where things have slowed down from a work standpoint or personal life standpoint. Um, overstating the obvious, you know, we're still doing the thing we've been doing for a while you know today is a chemo day so uh that's what has ruled the majority of the day and we've got other appointments we have to go to and yada 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 plus just normal things at home and progression my wife is trying to make so those might all sound like excuses they probably are i've yet to get to a point where i have looked at that box and said time to flip the lid open plug things in and go uh i feel like as i told a friend of mine today i feel like i wake up every day like 50 laps down because the lists i'm staring at in front of me of things that i want or need to do with words or video or podcasts is ridiculous so I feel like I'm so far behind and barely keeping up with the things I need to do with my clients before I get to the things I would do just for fun, which, you know, this podcast qualifies digging out a lot of those old videos. I said that I found uh, on some old hard drives is another one. I mean, after I get through those things, it's like, and then real life. (laughs) Uh, So I, I might be the guy who starts, makes his 20-year-later return to sim racing after the shutdown because maybe things will actually slow down a little bit then. Ugh, that bums me out to say those things, but they're honest. They're they're real, Lance. They, they just are, sadly. Uh, none of that's a complaint, by the way. I love what I do. I wake up and bust my ass, and I'm super happy. But, like, that's just, yeah we're not there yet um jj gertler i got lance snyder and jj gertler 
two of the biggest jokers on my podcast stacked together. I love it. Says MP, now the virtual racing seems here to stay a while. What virtual beverage should be drunk in Victory Lane? Virtual milk should be saved for Indy only. Would you be willing to do a taste test for some virtual beers? You make new podcasts. I'm thinking Sebastian Bourdais, very pale ale. Don't call AJ Stout. Maybe a nice Petra Porter. Oh, man. Thank you for that, JJ. Yeah, the virtual celebrations. I know that Simon Pagano and Haley Pagano kind of didn't exactly nail their champagne celebration after winning Michigan. Uh, the man got licked all up and down his face by his dog. Gross. Um, I think donuts. I know you're talking beverages here. Since virtual beverages, not probably not going to get you there in terms of satisfaction. I was about to say satisfaction, and I don't know why, but I was. Uh, I think the donuts that we're seeing being done by Sage and by Simon and heck, I, I think Scotty did some as well. I think that's actually just a great celebration that we don't get to see very much uh, at all these days in IndyCar. So I'm going to switch the topic and just say the uh, Sim Champagne is black and round and it's not poured out on the ground but it is certainly ground into the ground i'm gonna go to cody dw12 says with the current driver situation at carlin for the 31 car they still need a few races to have filled you mentioned in the past that smp wants to put a driver connected with them back in indycar be it sorokin or a lotion returning is there any talks between the two to work together to cover off both bases? As always, best wishes to you and your wife. Thanks, man. Um, I got nothing for you here, Cody. The Carlin side, it's an interesting one. Uh, it ranges from like super close brotherhood, sisterhood to, man, they hate your ass. And that was the last thing I heard. Uh, I remember hearing back that the story did with Felipe Nazar after his overnight crazy journey from Brazil to come and test and end up being fast and all that. Like, they were really mad and like, don't talk to that guy. Why are you talking to that guy? And yeah, and like, really. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry to say this, and it probably sounds very dickish, but, you know, I don't see a lot of people caring about Carlin Racing or really trying to write stories about Carlin Racing. Uh, I know that I've had very negative things to say when there were negative things to say, which falls under the not giving you BS category. I've also written, man, I've written a lot of stories. I, I... I would welcome learning the name of the person who has written more human interest, insider, you name it thing. I'm not saying positive stories, but you know, many were, but I would love to meet the person who has written more about Carlin racing in IndyCar in even Indy lights than I have. Um, really because 
I love them, care about them, think they do great stuff. Not all the time, but, you know, just like, hey, this is a really good team. We should write about it and talk about it. Get to know them. If, but, and yet, being in the my chosen profession, like, people hate you at all points in times. There's there's different people, but, man, everybody, your best friends hate you and don't want to talk to you sometimes. The ones that hate you love you sometimes, but then go back to hating you. I don't know. Uh, so I just mention all this, Cody, because I have no idea. Uh, I have no real uh, pipeline to get answers there um, right now. So that's my failing, and I suck. But, meh, here we are. Uh, Dave Heisen. Hey, MP. Says, I decided to go back and read some stories on the IndyCar iconic era. <laughs> Says, what I could find, Lolan Swift had pretty good proposals. It was actually more appealing and in some ways technically better. But Delara, in the end, won the vote 15 to 0. Is this more to this story? Funnily enough, Dave, yes, there is. Uh, I don't know, but there's not more like, oh, big secrets, new revelations in 2020. Not at all. Do I sound drunk? I feel like I sound drunk. I, I feel like I sound drunk. Ah, oh, <laughs> I'm killing myself. Boy, this is terrible. I feel like I am speaking like I am drunk. I am not. It's actually been more than a month since I've had a beer, single beer. Nonetheless, I think the hour of the day is starting to catch up with me. So maybe I need to make this last one for the night and cover off the rest tomorrow. Um, Would tell you here, Dave, as I wrote at the time, and as I think I've been consistent in saying, this was a sham from the outset. This was a production put on. I know that they weighed the proposals. I know that they read through the proposals. I am very confident that while they were hoping to find something that was just mind-blowing, that would have made it impossible to look elsewhere... There's no reality of that actually showing up. There's no way that Lola or Swift or pick any of them, DeFerrin or others, uh, would have or could have come up with something that was just so revolutionary in terms of finances that it would have just led them down this path. We know that the Delta Wing showed up and they made a proposal that went absolutely nowhere. Um, so there was some radical technical ideas, but there was nothing that jumped off the page that said, Oh, this is going to be so much better than what Delara is currently doing to make us run away from Delara. It's this weird thing, Dave, where not like they were truly searching for an excuse to leave Delara. Not at all. But there had to be some sort of magical Bigfoot riding a unicorn type proposal that would have had them say, whoa, we could not possibly choose anyone else than this company. 
it's never going to happen, man. You know, <laughs> IndyCar has been around for a while. The chassis concept, but there's only so much new you're going to come up with. So what did they do? They continued with their old flame. There was the hilarious video set up by Verizon. It was all done through Verizon where the, what was it? 15 iconic committee members or 10 or whatever all voted and the votes were tabulated through the little, whatever the thing they pressed, but they vote, they used a Verizon, whatever system to vote and they voted for Delara. I mean, sitting there in the auditorium as this was being presented, I just remember, I mean, sitting there, me, Miller and I sit next to Miller, and he and I just looked at each other like, you have got to be effing kidding me, right? It's their choice. It's their series. They're going to do whatever they want with it. But just this asinine act. I mean, they put on a play. Hey, who's gonna be the new IndyCar supplier? Boy, a bitch is gonna be iconic. Yeah. Yeah, it sure was an iconic thing. I mean, this was, again, this was <sighs> the fix was in before we showed up in the auditorium. Uh, there was no chance anyone other than Delar was going to get this since there was no magic super Bigfoot riding a unicorn type presentation by someone other than Delara. Um, and that's just what it was. Uh, the car they got was garbage. It took many years of extensive re jiggerings and tinkerings and other things to improve. Uh, it's finally <laughs> towards the end of the decade become good. Uh, but even so, um, yeah, this, this just highlighted all the flaws of old regime IndyCar. It was just cronyism. It was low ambition. It was poor management. It was just absentee oversight uh, it, it's the the committee coming up with a donkey, and so again today, like man, after many many years, they finally got it good, but it was nothing like it was supposed to be, and yeah, some of the conversations heard from drivers back then when it came out was just so depressing, so depressing. Happily. <laughs> they're now pretty darn happy but i can tell you that when the new chassis comes and is going to be a delara uh i think we're going to not have the big stepping on body parts like we did this first go round. i think the technical management engineering management layers that indycar has in place now will be invaluable when it comes to the specifications of what the next car will be. Uh, we didn't have that before. Uh, not like we do now. So I think in this regard, we're going to be better. All right. It is 11.35 p.m. on a Tuesday. I haven't had dinner. You want to know what I've eaten today? This is sad. I had a full mug of coffee this morning. I had 
I think about 20-ish ounces of water. We then left for chemo. I threw a Nature's Bakery blueberry breakfast fig Newton type thing. Um, I love those, by the way. Uh, threw one of those in my pocket, so it has two little kind of fig Newton type deals, but good healthy stuff from Nature's Bakery. I threw that in my pocket, and I think had that at about three o'clock. We got home many hours later. Um, I had because they just came; they just arrived. I had my wife and I tried the new quadruple organic whatever uh, turkey jerky things that she bought that she thought would just be good little snack, healthy snack things for me. Um, Had one of those. It was pepper, natural pepper flavored. I'm not sure what unnatural pepper tastes like, but uh, had one of those. So think like super whole foods organic style Slim Jim. That was probably five hours ago. And I've since had a little bit more water and another quarter cup of coffee. So here I am at 11.37 p.m. at night as an adult male who's in his late 40s and knows better and has consumed one Nature's Bakery bar thing, one California granola-minded Slim Jim... There you go. That, friends, whatever you think might be failing on this podcast, the unpolished turd of an audio episode on a weekly basis, I have just really, truly failed at doing smart things and taking proper care of myself. So I'm going to shut up and go have something to eat and then get back up in the morning and hopefully finish the rest of this And say thank you to you for the great questions, and I'll be back tomorrow. Well, I didn't sleep for nothing. I think I got to bed, I don't know, three or so, and was, anyways. So, I might be even more trash than I was where I left off last night. Uh, Let's see, let's go to easy, D12, 15, 9 to 5, which I'm guessing might be a December birth date. Last week, in an article you wrote about the new engine formula schedule, Jay Fry said, we're geared, we've, we're, we're, we're geared our plans to make next year really light on costs for new items. We're talking four figures in the updates per car. Can you give us more information on what IndyCar will be doing to cut costs for next year? Uh, well, actually a bit of a separate thing here. Um, I can't tell you what they're going to be doing on global cost cutting because I don't know. Uh, truly don't know conversations that I'm sure I will have just haven't had them yet, at least for what Jay was referring to was, Hey, everybody will have spent a decent chunk updating their tubs and purchasing aero screens this year. We know that we have a new hybrid powertrain meant to be here in 2022. So since you had to spend a lot of money this year, and there's going to be a fairly expensive reckoning uh, the season after next. Well, we're going to make next season easy on the car side. So from what I've heard, it's like six or $7,000 per car uh, for the updates. I don't know what those updates are going to be. 
again, just things where <laughs> of the items where you fall out of rhythm, normally stay in tune and talking about things on a very regular basis. Well, regularity, we need a little bit of modium. We need to get a regular here. And so I apologize that uh, I don't have as much to offer on this front. Joshua Ponce, Marshall, I'm sure this question was asked already on the show, but I was thinking over the weekend, if IndyCar and Delara would benefit from having a second chassis provider, would Delara welcome it? What does the MP Nation think about this? Should IndyCar try and find a second chassis provider? Also, in your own opinion, hashtag me personally, what design and technical features would you like to see on the next generation of IndyCars? Great stuff, Josh, as always. No, I don't think... The series would benefit from this. I don't think Delara would welcome it. The margins, as we have come to learn on the financial side, are extremely slim. IndyCar has gone back to Delara multiple times since the DW12 came out to ask for, call for, request some sort of reductions, part prices here and there. And they're just not saying Delara doesn't make a profit, but if they are thin, at the sole supplier stage, well, splitting that and potentially having fewer sales, fewer spares sold, and having to potentially not need all of the people that they have to support this. Um, yeah, so I do love the idea of having multiple chassis going back to the way it was, the way I grew up. I just don't see how that could be the case. <clears throat> today i'm getting i'm getting a little overclamped i'm getting a little misty-eyed or i just need to drink more coffee would say there's no chance here uh, i'd be massively surprised uh let's see what else the design and technical features i just want something that's balanced something that we haven't had with the current car for a long time. It eventually kind of sort of got here, but still isn't all the way there from a handling standpoint. Just too much weight on the back of the car. Uh, so something that is very balanced and nimble, something that is lighter. <clears throat> Aesthetically, I would love to see a raised nose. I've just always found those to be beautiful, and especially looking back at some of my favorite indie cars from the late-ish, mid to late 90s, into the 2000s on the champ car side. Uh, just, it's a beautiful thing to me. Just the flowing lines work so much better than having a nose that dives all the way down to the ground. So keep the same general look now low engine cover just the things that make it look sleek i don't know if they're futuristic things to add to its visual appeal because i don't know what those things might be but yeah i just i want something that looks more like the panos dpo1 than the 2018 bodyworked delar dw12 and make it so that one end of the car doesn't have an excess of weight that pisses off the drivers and makes it hard for them to just truly get crazy, crazy aggressive with the vehicles. And I think we all win. Uh, Don Gregory, in your opinion, why did Dan Gurney's cart IndyCar program in the late 90s fail to achieve the same success as his dominant IMSA GTP program? Uh, well, that's a great question, Don. 
couple of quick things here. When they debuted the new Eagle chassis in 96, it was already a bit of an old design. My memory serves me correctly. This was a vehicle designed around 94-ish, maybe 95, but the in-house built chassis was just not cutting edge and absolutely did not measure up to the dominant Renard of that time. That was that. We had a scenario as well where with Toyota being new and Toyota doing the engines completely uh, separately from All-American Racers, which is different from the GTP program where AR was significantly involved. (laughs) Uh, We had a case where for the first couple of years, motor was big, heavy, and underpowered. All the worst things. By that stage, and having spent a couple of years idling while the other teams were just rocketing forward, once they did go to a Renard and the Toyota engine got better, honestly, you just had a program that had fallen behind the times. Not as if they worked any less hard than other teams or lacked talent. Just bad couple of years during an explosive time of growth and development and technology and tools and all of those things and even with the chassis that was the one to have and as well uh, even with a motor that had become very good but was still not ready to take on the others there just wasn't much there turn that around to the gtp program uh, in particular the eagle mark three and this was 100 percent them on the motor side in particular, Drino Miller, uh, boy, this was just a beautiful, beautiful thing. So very close relationship and a lot of autonomy as well. And really big ideas where they could flex their creative muscles with the design of their own GTP car from scratch and have it truly stand out against the others. The cart rules back then, even if their own 96 eagle chassis was amazing really wasn't the opportunity for one chassis to be vastly superior to the others we know that again renard was the king of that time but it wasn't a case of the lola or others being just pure trash um so yeah in imsa there's just a lot more creative ability and control we saw what they were able to do uh, let's go to my pal, Tom Schreier. Hey, Tom. says, among inactive drivers, who is the best driver that never won a race? Best driver to never win the Indy 500 and the best driver to never win the championship? Uh, my friend, I would need more sleep to answer this correctly. Best driver that never won a race. That's a really interesting one. Uh, I'll try and try and do something there. <sighs> Well, maybe I'll stick with the theme. I don't know best, but just someone who I thought was really, really extremely good, but we did not get a chance to see the depth of that talent displayed. And that was from the AAR 90s IndyCar program, Juan Manuel Fangio II. We know that in other cars, his teammate PJ Jones was able to achieve success in the Kart IndyCar series, but uh, JMF2 
uh, was not. I really do think that he could have been, I don't know if he was champion material, but I think absolute race winner material for sure, just without question. Uh, let's see, where, where, where do we go from here? I got to call Ari in about three minutes, so let me see if I can uh, grab one more. Christopher D'Amato, MP, after hearing your comments about two listener Q&A episodes ago and your French fries comments about the Panos TPO one is there any bleeping reason that IndyCar and Delar haven't tried to replicate it? Hashtag me personally, the lines of the bodywork are just light years ahead, better than the DW12. Don't get me wrong, the chassis we have today is better than the pig that was the previous one, but it still can't hold a candle to the DP01 or even the Lola B0500 chassis. I am raising both hands and saying amen to you, brother Christopher. There would be, I think, just a lot of people to see the DPO one represented as, you know, the DW 22 or whatever and go, wow, that's amazing. Even for those who've never seen the car, weren't aware of champ car came into following IndyCar somewhat recently after champ cars demise. I think they would look at that car rolled out in 2022 and go, wow, that thing's beautiful and amazing and all kinds of stuff. So I'm with you. I ha- I've had similar thoughts. Hey, is there a way to kind of channel that car? Update it in some ways, obviously. You know, the, the tub itself would need uh, a lot of things done to it. But is there a way to bring some of that styling or aesthetic forward? Uh, just even from a layout standpoint, again, the balance of that car is what is just held in such high regard. So, yeah, I'm with you. Chris, uh, I, I would love to see that. Oh, I'd love to see it. Having seen those cars run, I would love to see it again. As we wind down to the last couple of questions, we're going to go to Daniel Davidson. As Marshall's watching the 2000 Indy 500 qualifying, and some cars had an IndyCar type sound, and others with a more NASCAR like sound. Is the difference based on the engine builder, or do teams have some exhaust, motor, electronics freedom? I think you might have heard. The move towards flat plane cranks, Daniel, which emit a much higher pitch than the low thudding super bass sound that the IRL cars and like NASCAR had starting in 1997. So that was it. Remember being in the in gasoline alley. In and I'll tell you, I'm forgetting the year. Was it 99? Was it 2000? I'm not sure. But I remember being in the garage and we were doing whatever. I think it was just midweek prep work of the car. Might have been leading into race week. So it might have been a case of qualifying was done. There's no cars on track. You know, the couple of days where uh, there, there is no on track activity. Don't remember the exact setting, but it was something along those lines. And just remember hearing this amazing sound going around the speedway. So at a time where there's no cars going around, heard something that sounded like a Formula One car. Uh, Not 19,000 RPMs, but it just had that high, pitchy, peaky, revy sound that was completely opposite from the just, you know, kill you, uh, death metal uh, type IRL V8 sound that we had become accustomed to. And just was drawn to it immediately. I know, surprise, the guy with 
a lot of in car and ambient audio podcasts wanted to go check out the race car sound. So I just wandered out of the garage, walked over to pit lane and saw, I think it was a Menards run Delara Oldsmobile or whatever it would have been tagged as at the time. I think that's what it was. And asked whomever, Hey, uh, a, why is that car on track? But B what, what, what? And they said, Oh yeah, we're, uh, we're, uh, doing some laps playing around with a flat plane crank because it's something the series is thinking of allowing to improve the quality of sound. So apologize, Daniel, that I don't remember 20 years later, 21 years later, what exact year it was, but just remember hearing that and record stopped. And I just like a zombie walked straight to pit lane to find out because it was so awesome. So glad you got to hear it. Uh, Stephen kills donk says question for MP best wishes to you and Chabrell. Thank you. Who at I racing is responsible for the IndyCar crash physics and also clearly a closet super fan of the movie driven, or is this the result of the arrow screen making the cars extremely top heavy? And what are we, uh, and what we are witnessing in I racing is accurate physics modeling. Uh, this is referring to the crazy bonkers, coming to the green flag crash to start Saturday's Michigan iRacing event. Yeah, a little glitchy there, huh? I'm not sure what happened, but I do love the fact that uh, good friends, good friends at uh, LAT clipped off some photos, air quote photos within the game uh, to present some of the crazy flying vehicles and such. Oh, boy. Yeah, I, I'll tell you what. I think that should be a mandatory thing. I think it should have to happen to every car in the race at some point in time on a big iRacing oval event, but in clusters so that nobody escapes, right? Like, pick whatever you want, and somewhat early in the race, right? Not the t- very end to destroy someone's possibility of success but i just think it should have to happen to everybody i mean look if randomly cars can just be flying through the air in clusters of three or four or five and you've got 30 ish cars well that sounds like six opportunities where someone needs to hit that button Stephen. because i mean right yeah we really don't see it in real life the movie driven tried to present it like real life but this is the one time we can do this and not get scared or feel bad or question our uh, quality as human beings. This is something where we know no one's getting hurt and it's silly and it's virtual. So man, button, 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 button. I absolutely should just, that should be mandatory. Maybe even in pit lane sitting static while refueling Ding! car just springs 30 feet in the air. does a quadruple quadruple triple lindy and then comes back down i don't know but you're on to something unfortunately the iRacing folks hate me so it'll never happen uh but i I'm, deserve being hated so it's all good uh paul trahan hey look at that we got two questions stacked up with my favorite movie i was thinking about driven as i often do and it occurred to me there was a pretty big plot hole we learned before the final race that carl henry that being Burt Reynolds' character, uh, blatantly ripped off from Frank Williams, Formula One team owner. We learned before the final race that Carl Henry was sacking Jimmy Bly for Bo Brandenburg, but we never find out where Jimmy ends up. 
in a driven silly season, where do you think Jimmy Bly would get a seat at? Well, this is uh, this is an opportunity for me to share a piece of insider knowledge that I've been holding, but it's finally it's finally time. And Paul, you you're the man who inspired me to feel the confidence that I could say this. We have a real answer to this question. Jimmy Bly is Mark Pleward, the multi-time champ car champion, starting, I believe, about 15 years ago. Um, it could have been 10 years ago. But nonetheless, Jimmy Bly is Mark Pleward. Let's go to Reed Ruthenberg. Marshall, we all know everybody's house has its own smell. As we know, the Bourdais house most likely smells like French fries or French toast, and yours probably smells like hamburger and a hint of cats. I read this while staring to the right at Rocky and staring to the left at Rosie. Uh, what do you think some of the other new car drivers' houses' smell is? I'm pretty sure Rossi's smells like a new carpet because he seems like the type of person to buy new carpet every year. And I think Connor Daly seems like it would smell like Doritos from all his sim racing time. As always, thanks for what you do, and especially in these times. Thank you, Reed. Uh, well, yes. Uh, I would say Rossi's house would probably smell more like Simple Green, Windex, and Clorox wipes. That's, that's the thing, uh, I think. Windows just... Ding! Impeccable. Perfect clarity. No streaks. Every countertop. I know that they say those disinfectant wipes are 99.9% accurate at killing germs. I guarantee you Rossi has found a way. He's found a hack to get that up to 104%. So, ooh, boy. Just probably the mild smell of toothpaste as well. Because I can just see Alex with a deep reserve of toothbrushes and using that toothpaste in very small amounts just to scrub little stains that he might find on the uh, on a shoe, on a carpet, you know, some sort of something just to get that little extra layer uh, of cleanliness into them. What do other things smell like? Well, first of all, Jack Harvey, birthday boy known for his love of baking what i think his house smells like is burned 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 items in that oven you know the videos oh look here's a beautiful pie here's a th- cookies yeah that, that look as someone who edits i know editing yeah there's some epic fails we haven't heard about here i i am super confident that that guy is just, you know, spends more time cleaning the oven because he's just blown stuff up and gotten it wrong than actually is producing quality products. So I say this, of course, on his birthday for no good reason just to be a jerk. But I do love myself some Jack Harvey. Uh, What other smells are we... Well, reigning champion, two-time champ, Joseph Newgarden. Sushi, without a doubt. It's based on his... Some, I don't want to say peculiar, but somewhat obsessive 
love and hunt and need for sushi. That's a man powered by sushi. That's for sure. What else? Uh, a lot of onions and carrots and string beans, a little bit of garlic, a little bit of olive oil, that kind of scent in Simon Pagano's house. Um, not so sure in the string beans, but just go with me there. Graham Rahal. Whoa. I'm not sure where we go there. Do we say steak and shake? No, they dropped them. Well, they didn't drop him. They just pulled back from their sponsorship. You know, it's probably in and out burger. It's probably a defiant double, double animal, animal scent in that house. Just again, you know, Graham, Graham's got a deep memory. I think that might be the case there. Ryan Hunter Ray's house, similar to New Gardens, except for not the light smell of sushi. We're talking full bore fish of all kinds everywhere. Ahi and mackerel and just, that's a guy whose hook is in the water seemingly at all times. So that house, you know, smells like the sea, not Gorton's or Van de Camp's or whatever store-bought fish sticks but actual fresh from the sea. So that I would find, yeah, that I would absolutely believe. Some of these, again, are pretty easy, man. Colton Herta, we know that one. Tacos, nothing but tacos. Thing I need to learn, is it always? Like, is he a breakfast taco guy? Then a taco truck guy for lunch? And then afternoon, is it some sort of beautifully plated thing that he's had delivered? really see him making it right he just moved into his first apartment it's not the time where you make a lot of fine cuisine it's where you buy a lot of fine cuisine all right well let's see let's pick one more i was gonna say zach beach fish as well but he's got them in the fish tank i really hope he's not eating them do we know this is zach beach growing his own food in fish tanks huh Please tell me Zach isn't eating the fish that he's putting into that fish tank. What else? What else? Where, and we've got to pick one more. All right. Again, obvious one. I apologize. Charlie Kimball. Avocados, right? He's the only guy I know whose family has a freaking avocado farm. I bet under Charlie's fingernails, there's just little microscopic pieces of green, green avocado. But also knowing Charlie... He's probably, if necessary, borrowing some cleaning apparatus from Rossi because he does strike me as someone who spends a lot of time making sure things are very clean, organized. Everything is at a 90 degree or right angle. I'm sure there is some inspection and cleaning beneath fingernails as well. But yeah, Chuck, avocados for sure. Veach. That's the guy I'm, uh, I'm sus- he's a suspect here. Is Zach Veach eating the fish out of his fish tank? I need answers. All right. Uh, what do we have? Oh, I think, I think we got one more question to go. And who, who, who would this be from? The Marshall Pruitt podcasts, official spirit vegetable, Ryan Terpstra. So let's talk iRacing and realism and professional driver feedback. If we had a soapbox jingle, here, this would be the time to play it. 
Back when Verizon was the title sponsor for the series, sorry, MP, I know they were your favorite. (laughs) You wouldn't expect to hear drivers talking about how they only get 3G coverage anywhere indoors or how they constantly have drop calls. Even if it's true, you still don't lay waste to a partner. I realize the iRacing deal came together quickly and out of necessity, but they're now a partner for the series. IndyCar could have gone with R-Factor 2, Assetto Corsa, or even Forza 7. They didn't. They went with iRacing. Yes, it is a massive piece of software with something like 50, 60 different vehicles. This is my unpolished turd, just a reminder. And no, each vehicle doesn't have a single, a single engineer dedicated to it, so things aren't going to be perfect. If it isn't perfect, it isn't from a lack of trying. With all that said, I'm curious. If you don't have a rig like Jordan Taylor, uh, are issues like what Rossi has and experience with the simulation model or with the lack of information needed to accurately determine what's really going on with the virtual car? Related, Joseph Newgarden ran a race at 7 p.m. last Tuesday at Brands Hatch with his Twitter followers. He plans to do it again this week, and it appears it will be Spa. You want to talk about a driver wanting to connect with fans? A+. IndyCar needs to do better marketing. This guy, to the dead horse, I'm beating right now. Tangently related. I think Will Power wants to win these virtual races as badly as he does real ones. Competition is competition. doesn't matter if it's a virtual race or real race or maybe even Monopoly. I'd like to play in Monopoly with power sometime. Uh, I'm a bit the same, so I fully expect it to end in shouting and the board being flipped over like Jordan Taylor's sim rig. Well, thank you for closing the show with a bit of a rant, Ryan. I hear you. Uh, keep in mind, iRacing has become a partner of the series, but this isn't something that, to my knowledge, most drivers see or feel is anything close to a partner on the Firestone, Honda, Chevy, whatever side. So let's be really clear there. It's not downplaying iRacing's value or importance, but it's not even the same hemisphere of what the names I just mentioned do for the series and potentially the drivers. Uh, the Rossi comment, uh, even the Dixon comment, unique here in that we have two guys that have never done this, at least, you know, not serious sim racing. But here's two people, two of the best open wheel drivers alive and working on the planet today who took their first cracks at it and found things were far less than what they expected. Is that a criticism of iRacing in a really harsh or intentionally negative way? So some of you may or may not know, probably most of you don't because it doesn't matter, but my wife really does not eat most forms of meat She's not vegetarian, but pretty close. She is always looking for something that is extra, extra organic. And so what happens is there's 
at least <laughs> once or twice a month, hey, I bought this thing, uh, I want you to try. It's just like, and it's meant to be something she's found that is a healthier alternative to something that I normally consume. And in those instances, we get things that often taste very much like the thing. It's replicating on very few occasions. It has happened once or twice, but on very few occasions have I said, yeah, you're right. Boy, can't tell the difference. Uh, what did the, what were the Burger King ads we've been seeing? Maybe not the last couple of weeks, but really heavy. Uh, during the end of last year and definitely the first month or two this year was the non-meat-based burger, the plant-based burger. On the street, telling people to take a bite. What? You're telling me that this is, I don't believe it's not a real hamburger. This is not, there's no meat. That's the perfect thing you're looking for. What we've had here, which is okay, is a couple of the best in the world taking a bite going, yeah it's close but no i can tell this isn't a real burger so that doesn't mean (laughs) the burger king folks and the folks making the patties are bad it just means that even if it's not an official even if it is an official partner uh, what do you want these guys to do lie to you i don't know i mean you ryan i'm just saying like this is one of those deals where we have found without a doubt how much hardcore sim racers like yourself love what has happened with this becoming so prominent in so many series and people like Joseph doing great stuff to connect with fans. Your note there about you talk about a driver wanting to connect with fans. Brother, this didn't just become a thing where Joseph connected with fans since he decided to iRace with his followers. Uh, It's in addition but this guy's been connecting with fans for a really long time and has been super selfless and super open and fun in doing videos and chats and you name it, that it's at a level that many don't. So I get what you're saying, but uh, this isn't the thing that makes him stand out. This is just one of many that's been added to. Um, I hear you. I know you want, and we all want iRacing to be identical, and for IndyCar drivers to say, I couldn't tell. <laughs> I took a bite. Whew, man, I thought I was at the real Michigan, said Scott Dixon. It's not. And that's okay. The only people making it not okay are the people within iRacing that I know of who have complained loudly and vociferously. It's their choice. It's their prerogative. They take it personal. I get it. They should. I don't know. Uh, I just don't think of sim racing as something where a level of realism to the actual thing is expected. And if the people doing it for the first time, like a Dixon or Rossi go, yeah, this is fun or cool, but it's not real. And it's not like driving an IndyCar. And to be really good at this, I'm having to learn and master a new skill because this isn't an IndyCar, and my IndyCar driving skills don't apply. That's okay. Uh, I wish it was okay to everyone, but it isn't. So disregard as necessary. Uh, That's it, friends. Thank you for sending in the questions. Thank you for sending in some Kyle Larson stuff. Wasn't 
really expected. <laughs> it was a bit of a surprise, but who knows? Maybe uh, I have said something that wasn't totally dumb. Um, we'll see. Nonetheless, thank you to you for your awesome questions, family. Seriously, thank you. And thank you, Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets USA. I am Marshall Pruitt. This is Marshall Pruitt Podcast. And our week in IndyCar listener Q&A. Up next, our man, Harry Lunatic, Ari Leindyke.